to the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. So I'm not like, I don't have ADHD or anything like that. But I feel like this week when I was reading Mark's gospel, I just got totally distracted. It was like, this is an easy one. This is a straightforward goal. This is an easy thing to talk about. But as I was reading through Mark's gospel, when it comes to the build up to the cross, I read something I've never seen before. It was so crazy. It was so strange. The point, I remember going to Jody, um, my wife, and going, hey, Jody, check this out. Look at these two verses. And Jody was like, I think she was convinced it, it was just like the Bible I was reading from and that this wasn't in any other Bible. And so then she went away and she actually came back to me later. I thought that was the end of it. And she was like, oh my gosh, it's actually in my printed Bible as well. I was like, yeah, it was like, I've been reading it in the, in the Greek earlier. I, like, I have not, this is just such a crazy, crazy passage. So today I'm going to be a little bit weird with this one and um, I, I just want to apologize in advance because it's just such a crazy thing. It's not in Matthew's gospel, it's not in Luke's gospel, it's not in John's gospel. But for some reason, Mark sticks this in his gospel and we're going to kind of play about and talk about that. So if you want to have a look in your Bibles, Mark chapter 14, I'm going to kind of flow through and set the scene of how it all starts. So there's this plot to kill Jesus. And then the next thing we read about is there's this lady like anointing his feet for burial and putting this uh, this alabaster box, this this oil on him and and is anointing him. And the next thing we know is this this causes like contention. So we read that he was at his house in Bethlehem. She comes along and she does this, the house of a leper that Jesus had healed. And in that moment, some of them, it says, were murmuring amongst themselves saying like, oh, this could have been used for the poor. Like we could have used this money in some other way. And then Jesus, goes like, listen guys, you will always have the poor with you to do something good for, but this one day you're not gonna have me much longer and she's just anointed me for burial, which I thought was a pretty cool passage because I remember Barack Obama got this completely wrong when he talked about this passage. He said that he felt Jesus was a pessimist by saying the poor you will always have with you. Um, Like it's a cop out for today, solving the issues of poverty in the world. But he's speaking to very specific people that he says, not only you'll always have the poor with you, but he says, I won't be with you for much longer. I've never had Jesus physically with me in my entire life. So it's not a cop out today that you and I don't tackle poverty because you know, you'll always have the poor with you. It's a fact. Those disciples always had the poor with them. But for us today, Nelson Mandela said that poverty is created by the actions of men but can be solved by the actions of men also. And we have to take a responsibility in everything that we do that we are not just with diligent stewards with all that we have. But I thought it was amazing that on the one hand, you had this incredible woman bowing down, giving all that she had in this beautiful moment of worship to Jesus, anointing his feet. But the next thing we see is Judas makes a decision. So they, he knows about plots. People know there are plots to kill him. But Judas then, very, the very next passage, makes the decision, I'm going to betray Jesus. In other Gospels, it suggests that Judas was kind of one of the ones pushing forward this thing because he was taking the money that they got and he was pilfering it for himself. And so he's like looking at this perfume and he sees that this could be sold for a lot of money. I could be, I could get some mad pee from this. So he's like trying to say like, oh, shouldn't we sell this stuff? Shouldn't we have some money and do this? And at this moment, Judas is so ticked off by this woman's amazing moment of worship, sacrificial worship, giving all that she has in this expensive, expensive perfume, rubbing on his feet that Judas goes to this point, you know what? I'm done, I'm out. And he goes off. Then Judas, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. 
and he sought an opportunity to betray him. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, will you have us go and prepare for you something to eat for Passover? And then he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished ready and prepare our meal for us there. The disciples set out to the city and they found it as it, exactly as he said, which was incredible because I talked about a woman's amazing moment of worship. Well, this is a man's amazing wor- moment of worship because men didn't carry pots. You wouldn't see a man out and about carrying pots. This is what women did in this time culturally. So this one guy, this one day has felt God lay on his heart. Today, you've got to carry the pot. You've got to pick up the pot. You're going to walk down the street, you're going to look like an absolute weirdo. People are going to look at you and go, you're crazy. People are going to look at you and go, like, what is wrong with this dude? Dude, you've lost the plot. And this, whatever compelled this man, they're walking along, they're like, I cannot believe it. When he told us we were going to see a man carrying a pot, I thought, Jesus, man, you are smoking some crazy stuff because men do not carry pots. As they're walking along, they're like, this is a crazy day. Look at that. Look at that guy over there, man, carrying the pot. And then they follow him to the house and they say, and there it is, the room is there. And they were amazed that it was exactly as they were saying. And then in verse 22, when they were eating, he took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you and for many. Truly I say, you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is a crazy passage because this is a feast and a celebration. As good Jewish boys, they would have done non-stop every single year. You never miss Passover. You never miss a beat when it comes to Passover. It's always the same. You say the same things. You do the same rituals. You have the same moments, the the unleavened bread. You have the, the wine. And in this moment, Jesus breaks it and he says, this is my body. And these guys would have been like, Jesus, this is like some mad heresy. Like you can't be talking about Egypt like it's your body. And then he pours the wine symbolic of the blood that was on the doorpost, the lintels of the Jewish people when they were slaves in Egypt and the angel of death passed over and the next day they were all free and leaving for a new life. And he's saying, this is my body that was broken. It wasn't the, the lambs that were slain on that time. He says, this is my blood, the blood of the, the new covenant, the blood of the covenant, the promise that God has for us poured out for you and for many. In that moment, they'd have been like, Jesus, like, chill, chill. Like, this isn't about you. This is thousands and thousands of years ago. And then he lets them know that he's going to die by saying, I'm never going to drink of this wine again until that day in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus, as they have this meal, starts to tell them a couple of things. He lets them know that there's one person who's dipping from the, the bread, the same area as him that is going to betray them. And then he also says to Peter, three times you're going to deny me before the, before the rich Christ, you're going to deny me this day. And Peter's like, nah, man, I would, I would go, I would lay down my life for you. I would die for you. And Jesus said, listen, they're going to strike down the shepherd so the sheep will be scattered. And all of them, it says, were saying, no, not us. We won't leave you. We'll go to the end. They'll have to, they'll have to bury us. They'll have to kill us off. We'll save you to the end. And then they head to this garden. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. And they began greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little while farther, he lay on the ground and he... He prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass for him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. 
Last week, I was talking to you guys about The Endgame. Obviously, I've never seen the film The Endgame. I can't wait this week to see The Endgame. I'm a Marvel geek. I'm not going to lie, man. I'm going at midnight. No one's posting on Facebook, ruining my thrills, <laughs> telling me who died. I would, I would hunt them down like Liam Neeson if someone posts anything on my timeline. I am going to see that film. But with Easter, this period here, we're in The Endgame. We're in The Endgame. And the thing you see with Jesus in this passage is literally in the Greek, whatever it takes. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, if there's any way this cup can pass from me, he's sweating blood, but not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Simon, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed in the same words. And again, he came back and he found them all sleeping. Their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to say to him. And he came to him a third time and said, are you still sleeping, taking your rest? Is it enough that the hour have come, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners? Let's get up, let's go. My betrayer is here. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with a crowd of people with swords and clubs, the chief priest describes the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. He said, the one I will kiss, he is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came to him at once, he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they lay hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and a club to capture me? Day after day, I was with you guys in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. This is it. This is the two verses that if you've said that you've noticed this before, I'll be surprised. It just freaked me out. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. I'm going to read that again. <laughs> because you know those moments at church where they have this reflective moment where they read through the passage like I've done? And there's the, I don't know, if you're in that one kind of church, the organ is playing. <laughs> If you're in another kind of church, the keys are playing. If you're in another kind of church, the, the violins, there's a choir, like our Lord of the Rings, those kind of R's that I cannot imitate with my voice. There is that deep moment. But I, how do they keep a straight face? Does everyone just avoid Mark's gospel and reach for like Matthew? Is there this unsaid code between church leaders? Like, okay, let's dodge Mark because there's a streaker in the middle of the cross like you're building up to one of the most tense moments in human history and it's like mum there's a naked man in my bible you're like yeah that's Jesus on the cross no 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 before that bit I'm telling you he's naked he's running down the street I mean I was just like this is where the ADHD set in I'm like looking I don't even have it and I had it I was just sitting in Nero reading the bible and I'm going like say what and then I'm flicking back and then it goes straight the next bit and they led Jesus to the high priest and the chief priest and the elders and the scribes I was just like, oh my days, Mark, you are tripping. Why the heck are you throwing a naked man in my Bible? It's like this subliminal messaging. I don't know. Is it a prank? Is it like a prank? I don't know. And then I started going like, this can't be real. This has to be a misprint. So then I started looking into the Greek text. I started to read 30, 40, 100 page documents of people theologically trying to make something or not make something out of the naked guy running in the Bible. Like all these questions, like the ultimate question is, why does Mark need me to know there is a naked man running down the street? Like, why does any of this have any meaning? You know, some people said that, you know what, 
the other Gospels allow it because it was Mark. And so Mark kind of doesn't want to really want to talk about it. doesn't want to say it's him, but he's kind of like, yeah, I, I don't know. I rushed to get dressed that day and whoops, you know. I don't know. It's like, but, but it can't be Mark because it says, I'm spending way too much time on this, but I just love this. I think it's so crazy. It can't be Mark because it says that they all left him and then, and then we see, so, and they all left him and fled. All, meaning like the, tw- the, the, the 11, because Judas is, is a waste man by this stage, and he's with them. So they all left him and fled, and a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth around his body. Some people have said like, oh, this kid was obviously asleep in his house, saw it, and was like, you know, like out to, I guess in today's culture, it'd be like running outside with your phone to do the world star <laughs> quickly. Haven't got your clothes on. Oh, I'm not missing this. But world star, like it's going down. I don't know. This guy ends up naked and running away. And I was thinking, why on earth does he want me to, to know this? Why is this, why is this here? And you know what? I started to look about for correlations. I was looking for linen. I was looking for naked people in the Bible because ultimately, if there's another nudist scene then it, that, that correlates this, then, oh, Mark's using this imagery. There was something I was reading that that hit me. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. He was setting out on his journey, and a man ran up, another guy running up again. He knelt down before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were made at these words and Jesus said to him again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible. And Peter began to say, see, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. The persecutions and in the age to come eternal life, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. I start thinking, there's this young man with no name and I started to get playful with it. I can't say this is what happened. I can't tell you this is what it is. There's always different guys arguing for this not to be the case or different guys arguing for it to be the case. And after wading through tens and tens of pages, I was like, I don't even care. I think this is funny. There is a naked guy in my Bible and I'm rolling with it. I started to think about He's covered in this linen cloth, which straight away one person said means this guy's got mad pee because, which is strange for him to not be dressed with the rest of his clothes on. And I started to think about this one guy and how he went away sorrowful. And you see, one of the things I've found in life is there's been plenty of times in my life where God has said to me, Andy, I need you to let go of this. Andy, I need you to turn away from that. Andy, I need you to move in this direction and leave some things behind. And there's been loads of times where I've walked away. I've carried on going to church. I've carried on kind of talking to God. The conversation's carried on. But ultimately in my heart, I've walked away kind of sorrowful. Like, I'm not too, full, not too sure I'm going to switch on that. I'm not too sure I'm ready to drop that. I'm not too sure I'm ready to let this go. I'm not ready if I'm going to leave this thing behind. 
And I find this crazy moment where what if this young man is the same young man who heard that then? What if this young man has finally come to the point where he's gone, you know what, I'm just weighing everything on the scales and it's like I can keep all the stuff that I have but I'll never have eternal life. I'll never have something of, a, of real value that transcends anything. Everything I have can be taken away from me. This is something no one can touch. All of this stuff can fade away and this iPhone can become old and a new iPhone comes out and it's a waste of space anymore. All of this stuff here can never ever be touched. I wonder this guy had finally sold everything and he's just in this unfortunate moment of finally catching up with where Jesus is. And he's like, I'm ready to follow now. I'm in, I'm done, I've got rid of everything. Okay, okay, I know, I kept the one nice linen outfit I had, but I swear to you, everything else in the wardrobe, the Gucci is gone, the Benz is gone, everything is gone. This is literally all I have left in this moment. And then he's like, hey guys, where are you going? Where, where are you guys going? As the rest of the disciples are just running for the hills, they're scared for their lives. And he's like, no, no, what are you doing guys? Hey, look man, I, what, what? I've let go of everything. Trust me, there's nothing over there. You wanna stick with this guy, he's got it. And then he turn around and then the guys go, oh, you're with him? Yeah, 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 I'm with him. And then they grab a hold of the linen cloth and he's like, I am done with the linen cloth. Like, man's not hot. You can take the jacket, I'm out of here. And he sprints for the hills, running buck naked down the streets. Man, I started thinking, and I started thinking about how funny it is in life. You know, every single one of us is gonna have a moment, if this is the same person, every one of us is gonna have a moment like this. Regardless of how long you've stuck around with Jesus, or how new you are, to sticking around and following Jesus. Or even if you have early questions, he had an early question. What does it mean to truly be alive? Eternal life for you and I is always about heaven. For the Jewish people at the time, it's about what it means to truly be alive. Like they realize that everything else you chase doesn't fulfill you. What is it I need to lay a hold of that I'm gonna be whole, that I'm not gonna be lacking anymore, always looking for the next upgrade. Jesus says, you gotta let go of it, you gotta embrace me. And when this guy finally does, I mean, what a time to do it. Jesus is taken away. And as he's taken away, he has this moment where he's taken for the religious leaders, they give him a mock trial, the guy's found guilty. He's, he's then passed over to Pilate because they don't have the authority to execute him. Pilate starts to question Jesus. And when Pilate questions Jesus, he says this incredible statement. He says, I find no fault with this man, yet I will punish him anyway. And the Greek word is to whip. And Jesus is whipped and the blood flows down his back. And they're just getting ready for Passover where all the lambs are gonna be slain all around the whole of Jerusalem. Everyone in the whole nation has come to this one place for this one point to remember they were slaves in Egypt and now they're set free by Jesus. And in this moment, Jesus is there and this incredible thing happens that, that Pilate does. Pilate acts as a high priest in this moment because the Jewish people, when they remember Passover, they take a one-year-old male lamb, a one-year-old male ram, and a one-year-old is actually the equivalent of like a man in his early 30s, it's the peak of its life. It's not a little fluffy, sweet thing. It's big, it's butch, it's strong. And what they would do is three days before Passover, they would take it into their house. They would check the skin, there was no skin conditions. They would check the legs and the bones, there were no broken bones on it. There were no broken bones and there was no skin conditions and it was without blemish. And after keeping it in their house for three days, which is a mission because it trashes the whole place. These things are dense and you know what? Uh, how do you tell, like, you don't train rams to stay in your house and not urinate and smash everything to pieces. They just wreck the place. Big horns. And after three days, they go, it's without blemish, there's nothing wrong with it. And then what they do is they, they cut the back and the blood flows from it. And then they say, it's without blemish, it's fit to be the Passover lamb. 
So Pilate looks at Jesus and he says, I find no fault with this man, yet I will punish him anyway. I will whip him. And he whips Jesus and the blood flows from his back and he's considered the Passover lamb that John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so on that cross, he's then crucified and he dies and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing, that he's consistent the whole way. He talks forgiveness and he's back in it, even while he's been tortured and he's on a cross. And while he's on that cross, he says, it's finished. And when he says it's finished, he's not just saying it's finished for the people there. He's saying it's finished for you and I. John says that as many of us that believe in him, we get given the right to become children of God. That we were no longer born of the will of the flesh because two people got jiggy with it. We're no longer born of the blood. You're not just the, the blood that's flowed down from your, your, your ancestors, from your parents. And it's no longer the will of man that makes you alive. The intention that someone wanted to have a child. But you're here because of purely the will of God and we become his children. Today is a wonderful time where we look back 2,000 years ago and we embrace this one concept, this one notion, that God looked down at us in our situation that we could do nothing about, that we could change not, that we couldn't deal with sin. We couldn't, we were all sinners. We'd all fallen short of the glory of God. And God looked at us and he said, whatever it takes. And then when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, he swept blood, whatever it takes. Then when he's on the cross and he's forgiving those who did it to him, whatever it takes. And then he goes and dies and he's in the tomb and three days later he bursts forth, whatever it takes. And then he sends us out as part of a great commission. He calls us sons and daughters of God. And he calls us to be the agents of change within the world that would flip it upside down where the the last will be first and the first will be last. Where we would bear up the interests of others, not just ourselves where we would see those in our communities and our families and we would not just see our own opportunities for gains because we're so good at feeling the edges of where the opportunity is for us but feeling the opportunity for someone else because that's how Jesus saw you and that's how Jesus sees me. I'm going to pray for us today and then we're going to finish there. Father, I thank you that Though Jesus was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God, something to cling on to, but he let go of himself and he humbled himself to the point of death. I thank you, Lord, that in this story we see there's a streaker on the pitch. Mom, there's a naked guy in my Bible, but at the end of the day, there is someone who has literally stripped it all away. The last person to leave him, the last person to run away. Father, I pray that we would all be people, we have these moments where we're We asked the question, is it worth it? But ultimately what happened was the disciples all left him there, but each one of them was martyred and some of them were even crucified upside down because they decided this is worth it. He's worth it. What he offers is worth it. I pray this this Sunday and this week, Lord, we would start to tap into that which is eternal. So often we're so bogged down like the rich young ruler. We're either protecting what we have or chasing what we don't have. Whereas actually you give us something that transcends anything anyone else could ever give us. And Father, we just take this moment today to reflect on all that you've given us. And I pray that each one of us here, whatever place we come from, whatever story we have, whatever things we're hung up on and struggling to leave behind, we pray that we would encounter you in the same way that they did. There were slaves in Egypt who had a Passover meal and the next day they were free. Jesus said to take this meal, do this in remembrance of him that we can remember what you've saved us from, but also we can look to you to save us from what we need you to save us from here and now. And that we can be agents of change as well in Jesus' name. Amen. 
really hope you enjoyed today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.london. Yes.